Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.37 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 23rd day of March, 2023. This is episode 689 of Bitcoin. And I think it's time for a bloodletting. I really do. I think we've been polite. We've been patient. We've been, we've tried to be helpful. We've tried to point out iniquities and atrocities and everything else. And then people like Julian Assange lose their livelihoods and their whole lives, in fact. For what? For what? This is going to be a bad news show. Uh, you know, I, I wish I could be all jocular and witty and funny and happy, but you know, this morning I woke up to, you know, a fucking blimp screwing up square, you know, yesterday we saw the 25 bit, uh, rate hike that I told you was going to happen. There was no way that that was not going to happen. And then everything starts shitting the bed and things that you would think that would not be moving in directions are moving in those directions. I just, the clown show is, is beyond reckoning. And I'll, you know, let's just, let's just start. Let's start the read bad news first, and then we'll have maybe some plushy news that comes later, but let's, let's just start off with this one. Okay. The Fed meeting. That's a good place to start. Barons have no idea who's writing this, so I guess they don't really give a shit about their uh, authors. It is clown world, so why give anybody any attribution at all? The Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point Wednesday, its ninth increase in about a year. Chairman Jerome Powell addressed the turmoil in the United States banking sector, saying the issues were limited to just a few banks and emphasized the broader financial system was sound and resilient. However, both Powell and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, in simultaneous testimonies, stopped short of saying that they would do whatever it takes to save all depositors. Those comments roiled markets. The stock market which had been anticipating a 25% or a a point, well, 25 bips uh, rise fell. Treasuries rallied. Treasuries rallied, pushing yields down across the curve. The central bank suggested an end to rate hikes is near by removing a line from its statement about ongoing increases. 
the median forecast among members of the Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMAC, is for one more increase this year. Of course, of course. Officials also see slower economic growth in 2023 than they did a year ago, according to the so-called dot plot. So just to, that's the end of the article, but let's just, you know, make a few highlights here. Okay. First of all, 25 bips rise. They're hinting at an end of hikes being near. There's confidence in the banking system. They're not going to do whatever it takes to save all depositors. All right. This sounds like somebody and a actually a whole class of people that are losing control. If not already lost control, but I'll, I'll give them that. I'll, I'll, I'll give them some semblance of what the old guard once was and that they're still in kind of control. They haven't lost full control yet, but they're, it's, it's really close. It's really, it's entirely too close for my, um, it's really too close for my reckoning. It's certainly, it's way too close for my um, sanity. I'm looking for something. Uh, hold on for a second. Let me, let me just, I want to make sure that I have something. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm in this, kind of a more sullen mood than the last couple of days is just simply because of the fuckery go going on, you know? So I wrote something, uh, and I want to, this pretty much, this pretty much sums it up. Okay. So if you're wondering, it's like, oh man, he's being a bummer again. That son of a bitch. Well, it's because I said, good morning. I woke up to the square hit piece put out by the flaming death ship, i.e. Hindenburg. I do believe that it's time for us to declare straight up war on anything and everything that resembles modern media. How? I don't know. But I'll bet, I'll just bet that a few hundred thousand orange and purple pill psychopaths can commit effective savagery without a plan, but with a general target. I'm fucking done with this bullshit, so it is time for a bloodletting. And this goes, this is not just any one group. This is like, I'm just calling out everything all at once in this one. The Fed, the Biden administration, all of media, if it's even remotely, remotely modern, all of it. It's all causing this. Twitter is all causing this. CNBC and Jim Cramer, it's all causing this. It's programmed an entire group, an entire, I would say generation, but it's more than one generation into absolutely believing that if anybody has anything other to say than the mainstream narrative, they are to be shunned, they are to be ridiculed, they are to be laughed at, and guess what? Those that they are pointing at, those that they are laughing at, those that they are ridiculing are always right. We always have been right. We're going to continue to be right. It is, I don't know, with grave consequences that I still continue to implore you to do a couple of things. The ideas that you have that are in your head, you need to get them out and you need to put them down on paper, carve them into a brick, 
carve them into a clay tablet and then fire that son of a bitch and then hang it on your wall so that you can remember your idea. You can look at it every single day. And every single day that you don't work on that idea, just imagine that that thing that's reminding you of the idea is pointing at you and laughing at you. Get the tools to do it with. Get the tools to pull the shit out of your head. I won't say the name because I don't want to sound like a complete and utter shill, but there are tools out there that will allow you to get your shit down in some kind of format that you can look at and you can see and you can work on and you can be pleased about. And then the second thing, maybe it's time for us to act like the truthful media that we really are, whether you've got a podcast or a newsletter or not. Whether you write for Bitcoin Magazine or Cointelegraph or Decrypt or whatever or not. Whether you work for the Bitcoin Policy Institute or not. There's something that you can produce that flies in the face directly of people like Hindenburg, CNBC. We're going to have to bind together like, a, like logs on a fucking life raft to start doing battle with these people. We can sit there and we can look at them and we laugh at them and we can tell each other just what a clown show this really is, but all we're really doing is sitting around telling each other what a clown show this is. Nothing's really changing. You know, what happens if five, just five members of this audience alone spends, I don't know, however long it takes you to write one a one-page article about just how stupid Hindenburg is and send it to all media as, as like literally I'm submitting an article to Barron's. I'm submitting an article to Bitcoin magazine. Doesn't matter if they actually print the fucking thing. It's a signal. That's the point. We're sending a message. It's not about the money. If you do those two things and you amplify that, what do you think could possibly happen? Just stonewalling mainstream media narratives and all the rest of the bullshit. Like I'm begging, who is it? BTCnews.today. Great. It's a great publication. But you know what's up at, you know, up at the very top corner? Top left-hand side is notable tweets. Stop feeding the machine. Notable notes only. Notable anything other than the legacy system. If we can't start really doing it now, we're going to have a bad time later. Why? Well, because let's, let's read this one. The United States SEC has threatened to sue Coinbase over some crypto products. I'm not a fan of Coinbase by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, this is out of Reuters. This, and of course, no attribution to the person that actually wrote it. No, no, but there's, you know, they got a picture up here and they tell us that Shannon Stapleton took the, the picture, but uh, I don't see any actual authorship uh, or who actually, you know, put words on paper. Who knows? The United States Securities and Exchange Commission has threatened to sue Coinbase Global over some of the crypto exchange's products, turning up the heat. On the largely unregulated sector, shares of Coinbase dropped nearly 13% to $67.33 in extended trading after, after, after the company said on Wednesday 
that the regulator had issued it a Wells Notice, which is a formal declaration that the SEC and its staff intend to recommend an enforcement action. The potential enforcement actions would be tied to aspects of Coinbase's spot market, as well as its earn, prime, and wallet products, the company said. The SEC has been ratcheting up efforts to crack down on the crypto industry since the implosion of FTX last year, and staking services such as Coinbase's Earn are under increased scrutiny for not being registered. Staking is a process in which cryptocurrency holders volunteer to take part in validating transactions on the blockchain. <laughs> the, like the overall blockchain. Oh my God. These products often offer customers eye-popping yields. Yeah, that's called usury. It's just in reverse. I got some, if I remember, I got something to say about that. I'm going to highlight that for a sec. Maybe I can have enough neurons left over to come back to it. Last month, Kraken agreed to shut down its United States cryptocurrency staking services and pay $30 million in penalties to settle the SEC charges that it failed to register the program. Earlier in the day, the SEC charged Chinese cryptocurrency entrepreneur Justin Sun with fraud and accused eight celebrities, including actress Lindsay Lohan, with illegally promoting his crypto assets. Coinbase said its services continued to operate as usual after the notice was issued. A Wells notice does not always result in charges or signal that the recipient has violated any law. Okay, so that is true. Not necessarily, not necessarily that they're going to be sued. But what's the signal here? Ginzer was begging crypto companies, crypto, I've got that all in air quotes, don't worry, but just begging all, you just need to come in and register. Just file the paperwork. And then when they do, he threatens to sue them because he knows who they are. This is bait and switch all the way around. Gensler, he's just one of the, he's just a snake. He just is. And I mean, sometimes he does something good for, you know, Bitcoin. Other times he, he doesn't. He's just a snake. He's not in it for the future. It, it, well, he's not in it for any other future than his own, but that just means that he's just, self-interested to the point that it's a fault. Okay. All of us have self-interest. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but when you put others in danger because your self-interest, literally you don't give a fuck about somebody else and you can do something about it without killing yourself or having your self-interest inflicted, but you're just like, yeah, you know, I could do better without that guy and you let him burn. Yeah. That's Gary Gensler. That's your man. That's your own pal. That's Janet Yellen. That's George Soros. That's all these guys. Klaus Schwab, the whole ball of wax, motherfucker. They're all in it for themselves. They don't care about you. They never have, and they certainly never will. It's not like they're going to all of a sudden wake up one day and go, you know, I'm, we're really screwing these people over. And you say, who are they screwing over? And I say, block. That's what I say. Block shares plunge 19% after short seller Hindenburg says Jack Dorsey's company facilitates fraud. I am just going to pause immediately and ask the question. I, I use Cash App. Cash App is part of Block. Is my use of this app in any way impinged by... Hindenburg saying that the owners of the app are committing fraud. 
because I think that that's an attack on my property. I think that that's mine, not Jack's, mine. I use Cash App. I use I use it to buy Bitcoin. And when I have enough Bitcoin on the Cash App and I got start getting a little uncomfortable about it, I move it on over to a, you know, a single address uh that's different every time that I move it. I don't I don't reuse addresses and I encourage nobody to do to reuse addresses. Don't don't do it, okay? My point is this sounds like a pretty beefy allegation that not only would Jack be able to sue over unfounded claims because all they, you know, we'll, we'll read the article. Don't, don't worry. But it sounds to me like they've just got a bunch of secondhand evidence that is not direct. And they've been conducting this shit over two years, this re, quote unquote report. Yet they talk to ex-employees and shit like that. If it's true that these are unfounded claims, sure, I'm sure Jack could sue. But what happens if it's a class action lawsuit? What happens if because of this report, my property and my interactions with my property are therefore endangered? Could I be part of a class action lawsuit against Hindenburg? I sure as fuck hope so. Because if that happens, you can sign me up. If you happen to be listening, Jack, I mean, I know you're not. So if somebody who knows Jack is listening to this or knows somebody who knows Jack, you tell him that if he wants to sue these sons of bitches, I will join a class action lawsuit and anybody who uses Cash App should also join the lawsuit and we will bury the flaming death blimp that is Hindenburg. Now, here's the article from CNBC. Uh, Do they give... Uh, yes, thank God. Thank you for telling me that Rohan Goswami and Mackenzie Sigalos authored this piece from CNBC. Shares of Jack Dorsey's block plunged 19% after short seller Hindenburg Research announced Thursday that the payment company was its latest short position, alleging that block allowed criminal activity to operate with lax controls and highly inflates Cash App's transacting user base a key metric of performance. Hindenburg describes blocks or described blocks internal systems as a wild west approach to compliance. Quote, our two year investigation has concluded that block has systematically taken advantage of the demographics it claims to be helping. Hindenburg said in its report, the research firm said blocks cash app thrived on serving unbanked customers. The report alleges those unbanked customers were involved in criminal or illicit activity. Hindenburg also alleged that Cash App's compliance programs were deficient. As part of its two-year investigation, Hindenburg spoke with multiple former employees who described how internal concerns were suppressed and user concerns were ignored, even as alleged criminal activity and fraud ran rampant on its platform. I hope these motherfuckers got solid evidence. Because this shit is legally actionable. Sorry, continuing. The firm's extensive report includes screenshots of internal systems and employee messages. It also highlights alleged financial misreporting. Mm. Up to 35% of Cash App's revenue is derived from interchange, uh, interchange fees, Hindenburg alleged. That's around $892 million in revenue that the short seller said would be capped or should be capped by law. But Block, formerly known as Square, avoids that regulatory cap imposed on large financial institutions by routing the revenue through a small bank 
Hindenburg alleged. The small bank routing method is one employed by Block's rival, PayPal, Hindenburg claim, and which promoted a Securities and Exchange Commission probe. Quote, a Freedom of Information Act request we filed with the SEC indicates that Block may be part of a similar investigation. End quote. PayPal did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Hindenburg took issue with Cash App's practices during the COVID pandemic when the government issued stimulus checks to qualified American adults. The report alleges that the lockdowns posed an existential threat to Block's critical merchant services business. Quote, CEO Jack Dorsey tweeted, that users could get government payments through Cash App immediately with no bank account needed due to its frictionless technology, the report said. Just a few weeks into Cash App's delivery of the first round of government payments, states were apparently trying to claw back suspected fraudulent payments. Washington State wanted more than $200 million back from payment processors, while Arizona sought, over to re sought to recover over $500 million, said Hindenburg, citing multiple former employees. Citing interviews with former employees, Hindenburg alleged that pressure from management has resulted in a pattern of disregard for anti-money laundering and know-your-customer laws. You see where this is going, guys. The report notes that, quote, this appeared to be an effort to grow Cash App's user base by strategically disregarding anti-money laundering rules. To test the theory, the short seller opened accounts in the name of former President Donald Trump and Tesla CEO Elon Musk and then obtained a Cash App card, called the Cash App uh, under the obviously fake Donald Trump account, the report said. The card bearing Trump's name arrived promptly in the mail. Quote, former employees estimated that 40% to 75% of accounts that they reviewed were fake, involved in fraud, or were additional accounts tied to a single individual. I, ha I have more than one account with my own bank. Oh my God, dude, this is bad. Representatives for the block or for block did not immediately respond for, to comment. Yeah, probably because they're about to sue your fucking ass. Quote, in sum, we think block has misled investors on key metrics and embraced predatory offerings and compliance worst practices in order to fuel growth and profit from facilitation of fraud against consumers and the government Hindenburg wrote. That's the end of the article. What do you think about that? Can, can you imagine why I'm a, you know, and it's not because I'm a, a Jack fan. It's just that I see which way the wind is starting to blow. And it's, if, if we, if there's no pushback by us and I, yes, you want me to tell you exactly how to push back. No, I can't. Why? Not sure of it myself. But like I said in the note that I put out on, on, on Noster, you know, I don't know how to do it, but I'm pretty sure a few hundred thousand orange and purple-pilled psychopaths can do a great amount of fucking damage if we act in concert and we don't even need to plan. We just need to, who's the target? Hindenburg. A target. Not the target. A target. How, how do you go up against the SEC? I don't know. Just send them a shit ton of letters that they have, you know, have to read. And that say nonsense and just jam up their system. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, that sounds kind of stupid. But I mean, if that's just one of 10,000 different ideas to jam up the pipes, then, you know, maybe it actually does something. I don't know. I don't pretend to have the answers. And this is one of the reasons you know, I, I don't blame you. If you want to stop listening to me right now, I don't blame you because that's why I stopped listening to Alex Jones. 
You listen to him, he wakes your ass up, but he's got no fucking plan, right? I have to admit, right now, I'm in the exact same boat. I don't know what to do exactly. But this shit, I'm pretty sure that this is all fundamentally wrong. And again, it's not because I have some kind of fanboy thing going on with Jack. I don't really care. If this is all absolutely true, then Jack is a scumbag. But I don't, I don't know. There's something about the tone. There's something about the timing of the release. They've been at it for two years. But it's the day after the Fed rate, uh, hike, rate, hikes rates and people ha- are becoming very aware of just how precarious the banking system is. So precarious, in fact, that we have to be reminded again and again and again just how safe and effective the banking system of the United States is. Right? We're not even worried about how it's connected to the rest of the world, are we? We're not worried about how safe and effective the SWIFT system is when it comes to international payments between central banks and larger banks that are their customers. No, no, no. It's just the U.S. banking system. As long as we can get the United States people to not worry about the United States banking system, then they won't have to worry about just how bad the forest on the other side of the Atlantic and Pacific are burning. Whole world's burning down, motherfuckers. So you, what do you do? You buy, well, at least in this case, you buy Bitcoin and you hold Bitcoin. But again, the call goes out. What ideas do you have that can either circumvent, push back on, or completely delete anything from the legacy system? I mean, do you have an idea to completely eradicate fast food from the face of the planet? Then do it. Please, for the love of God, do it. That's part of the legacy system that we're fighting. Can you build a bank that has full reserves or even more than full reserves like Caitlin Long was trying to do but can't get? Well, I don't know. It seems like a lost cause, but try it anyway. And send me a boostagram if you do. Uh, Fatoshi with 5,555 Satoshi says, Chompy won't kill you. The sad part is, is that he gave me a piped dot video to watch. For some reason, Brave Browser just refuses to open it. Even with shields down, I, I, I don't know what he's talking about. Can't wait to find a browser that will actually play it, but Fatoshi, thank you. This helps. Nick underscore dose with 2,345 Satoshi says, as usual, cheers. And because you guys are boosting me, guess what happened? By the way, that's the last boost. Because I was gone for like a week and a half, my charting on Fountain uh, .fm fell to like, I was number 45. I've put out three uh, podcasts and I'm already back into the 11 spot. Thank you. Because I can't do that myself. I suppose I could fake it by just boosting myself all the time and stuff like that, but I don't. That one, you got to trust me. I know trust is hard to come by in this space. Good. I'm glad. Why should, why, why should trust be so hard in this space? Terraforms Labs uh, co-founder Du Quan has reportedly been arrested in Montenegro. <laughs> Coin Telegraph, uh, Z Wan Sun, if I'm pronouncing it right, which I know I'm not. According to a post from Philip Adzik, Minister of the Interior of Montenegro, an individual suspected of being Terra Luna co-founder Du Quan has been arrested 
within the territory of the Balkan nation today, March the 23rd. Since the announcement was first made, local news outlet Vigesti has confirmed that the Twitter account that made the announcement is from the Minister of the Interior of Montenegro and that the individual arrested was a South Korean national. Now, on the very same day, South Korean local news outlet Yonhap news agency said authorities confirmed based on photo data alongside name, nationality, and age of an identification card that was that the arrested individual was the same person as Terraform Labs CEO Du Quan. The former blockchain executive's aide, Han Mo, was also reportedly arrested with him in Podgorska. I don't I can't pronounce it. Whatever. Wherever that town is. However, National Police Agency of South Korea stated that it was still waiting for fingerprint information from Montenegrin authorities to fully verify that the arrested individuals are in fact Du Quan and Han Mo. South Korean prosecutors previously revoked Quan's passports. It back this is back in October of 2022. Quote, Montenegrin police have detained a person suspected of being one of the most wanted fugitives, South Korean citizen Du Quan, co-founder and CEO of Singapore-based Terraform Labs. If you don't remember, he was vehemently defending himself on Twitter and Instagram, saying that he was most definitely not on the run. Oh, God. As told by Adzik, an individual suspected of being the former cryptocurrency king was detained at the Podgorica airport with falsified documents, and authorities are awaiting official confirmation of identity. Montenegro is geographically south of Serbia and shares borders with the country. Since December of 2022, South Korean prosecutors have alleged that Kwan was hiding in Serbia where no extradition agreement exists with South Korea. On September the 26th, 2022, an Interpol red notice was issued for the arrest of Kwan for his alleged role in the collapse of the $40 billion Terra Luna and Terra USDC ecosystems in May of 2022. He is also wanted by regulatory authorities in South Korea, Singapore, as well as the United States. Montenegro reportedly does not have an extradition agreement with either Singapore or South Korea. However, it does have an old extradition treaty with the United States and has complied with extradition requests for U.S. nationals in the past. The country also communicates with Interpol on extradition matters. Du Quan has spent substantial time in the United States, but it's not clear if he is a U.S. citizen or permanent resident or committed criminal acts against U.S. nationals for potential extradition proceedings. Oh, joy. On February the 16th, the United States Securities and Exchange Commission charged Quan with orchestrating a multi-billion dollar crypto asset securities fraud involving an algorithmic stablecoin and other crypto asset securities. Since March, the United States Department of Justice has also been probing Quan's role in the collapse of the Terra Luna ecosystem. However, no criminal complaints have been filed against Quan within the territory of the United States. Okay, that since this is breaking, I'm going to update this page and see if anything has changed at all. Has anything changed? No, nothing has changed in the story. So what you heard is what we know so far, at least according to Cointelegraph. Now, South Korea can't extradite him. Singapore cannot extradite him. However, the United States most likely can. And they'll, you know, chances are good they'll probably, if there's not a real crime that he's committed against United States citizens, which honestly there probably already is an actual crime, because I guarantee you that some United States citizen somewhere lost his or her ass when Terra Luna went under 
and that would constitute a crime against a United States citizen, which means that we could send the USS George W. Bush out there and go get his ass, and guess what? Montenegro's going to hand his ass up. So then it will become an issue as, do we hand him back over to South Korea or Singapore? My bet is no. They'll prosecute his ass in the United States because this is all part of the crypto narrative. And meanwhile, Bitcoin continues to rise while shitcoins go down the toilet. Just like we told you. Because we're always right. Even though people are pointing at us and laughing at us, we were, you know, we've been good little boys and girls and saying, look, usurious yields are a recipe for disaster. And I forgot to talk about that a little bit in one of the earlier pieces, but let me just pause. And this is the end of the article. So before we get into the other one, there's a book I highly recommend that you read or listen to on Books on Tape, The Richest Man in Babylon, The Richest Man in Babylon. In fact, it's so important, the, I'm typing. (laughs) Uh, I want to get the author's name. Uh, richest man in Babylon. That'll right there. That'll bring it up. Richest man in Babylon. Do 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 do. Go to. We'll go use Wikipedia. Uh, author's name: George S. Classen. C L A S O N. This book was written in 1926. It's almost 100 years old, <laughs> and the whole book essentially is in what 11 chapters and the 11th chapter is actually a historical account of Babylon itself but chapters 1 through 10 are different parables and different stories of individuals that lived in Babylon I don't know if they're all you know some of them are seem to be completely real I don't know if all of them are real I've got to do a little bit more research but it doesn't matter because basically it talks about how to attain wealth what you have to do and it's surprisingly simple it's called saving your money. You literally, you pay yourself one-tenth of your wages. Everything else goes to bills, food, whatever else, but you have to pay yourself first. That's one of the steps. But the book is fucking fascinating. It sounds easy, right? But uh, that it's, it's, it's not because of all that is beset against us. The, the SEC, the FT, the the CFTC, the stock market, the bankers, the the the, the, the fa- fractional reserve, it all of it doesn't want you to be able to save anything, and consequently, most people haven't to their own detriment. Again, you need to read or listen to this book, and you need to read or listen to it more than once. I plan on listening to this thing at least four times this year, once a quarter. I will probably, because I just picked it up and I'm very excited about it, I'm going to listen to it again probably over the next couple of days. I might listen to it three full times, but then I'm going to be listening to it at least once every year after that until the day that I die. This is an important book that was written by George S. Classen. One of the points that it makes is how how to not lose, basically it's instructions, how to get wealth, how to keep your wealth, how to make your wealth grow and work for you. But one of the ways to keep your wealth, you know what it said? It's, it, I, I don't have the quote, and I, and the, it uses kind of flowery language all through the book, which is, is kind of nice, but I, I'm not going to be able to replicate it. It says, if you mean to to attain wealth and to keep it, 
then at which time, at any time, somebody brings to you an offer that will offer you yields of usurious proportions, then you can be quite assured that you and your wealth will be separated. This was from Babylon. That thing, this thing could very well be like 5,000, you know, this is advice from 5,000 years ago. And even those homeboys knew that it was probably a bad idea to go, you mean I can get 20% yield on my wealth? Take my money. And they did. And they never got it back. Same thing with Terra Luna. Same thing with all the shit that we've been warning about forever and a day. If you see yield on a product that requires you to stake some of your wealth, whether it's US dollars or some shit coin or God forbid Bitcoin, then you are the yield and they will take your money and you will never get it back. Please believe me. I know what I'm talking about now. The final one before we do numbers, crypto reform coming to U.S. in 2023, says former White House Chief of Staff. This is written by Andrew Singer, Cointelegraph. In the U.S., crypto reform legislation isn't the province of a single political party. And that's why a former U.S. congressman who also played a prominent role in the Trump administration believes that passage of a federal digital assets law this year is a very real possibility. Quote, Democrats aren't all on one side. Republicans aren't all on the other side, said Mick Mulvaney, budget director and later acting White House chief of staff from January 2019 to March 2020. Further explaining, quote, I don't think in this Congress, which has got functionally about 14 or 16 months left before it sort of shuts down before the next election cycle, that you'll get a meaningful piece of legislation on blockchain slash crypto what we're referring to collectively as digital assets, quote, end quote. Sorry, Mulvaney's government resume is long and varied. Oh, very storied, I guess. In addition to six years in the United States House of Reps, representatives, he was also director of the Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, from February 2017 till March 2020, as well as special U.S. envoy to Northern Ireland, a post from which he resigned on January the 7th, 2021, the day after the protesters, inspired by President Donald Trump, attacked the U.S. Capitol building. Guys, I don't believe Trump fucking inspired dick. I think this was an FBI op. I'm stating it on the record. Does that mean that, oh, you're a Trumpet? You're a Trumpet? Don't like him either. Don't care. But, dude, credit where credit is due. This is fucking FBI op. So if you actually think he was sitting there on stage in full public, over a PA system saying go attack the building and break into the building, then you've got some screws loose. I'm sorry, he didn't. He didn't. This is FBI all the way. He wasn't helping himself, but I know. Like I said, he wasn't helping himself, but still. Continuing. Um, Mulvaney has an interest in Bitcoin and blockchain technology going back nearly 10 years. In 2016, he co-founded the Congressional Blockchain Caucus. Today, he says decentralized finance protocols have some key advantages over their centralized counterparts. Moreover, it's now possible to integrate key compliance processes like KYC and AML into, uh, into DeFi platforms, 
something that would reassure regulators, quote, there's a weakness in the system when it comes to the centralized and a strength that comes from decentralized finance, he said. Much of the fraud commonly associated with crypto space could be attributed to centralized entities from Mt. Gox to FTX. DeFi, in his view, brings additional layers of transparency that make engaging in fraudulent activities more difficult. And over the past decade has proved that it is the better system. Even regulators are beginning to understand this, he told Cointelegraph. Oh, God. Wow, just the ignorance. This is why we got to push back because this guy literally is pushing a fucking fraud. DeFi can't exist, not in the way they think it can. And in either event, when speaking with one of the Trump administration's leading financial managers, it would be hard not to ask about the current banking crisis. Oh boy, Silicon Valley Bank was arguably ground zero in this upheaval with some critics, most notably mm, Pocahontas Elizabeth Warren, criticizing the Trump administration for loosening banking regulations that might have averted SVB's bankruptcy. The Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act of 2010, enacted in response to the financial crisis of 2007 and 8, introduced the idea of stress testing large U.S. banks deemed too big to fail. However, the testing threshold was revised in 2018, which meant SVB and Signature Bank, which was also troubled, were no longer considered systematically important financial institutions subject to stress testing. As Warren wrote in the New York Times, quote, had Congress and the Federal Reserve not rolled back the stricter oversight, SVB and Signature would have been subject to stronger liquidity and capital requirements to withstand financial shocks. Pocahontas may very well be right. However, the just saying that the Dodd-Frank Act had been picked apart, was being picked apart by, God, even the Obama administration. By the time Trump got a hold of that son of a bitch, it was like giving a bone that had been chewed on by one dog to the littler dog. It's just it's disgusting how they just focus on Everybody's like got this weird, all they think about is Trump. A tree fell on my foot in the forest while I was on a walk. It had to be Trump. Whatever. If Warren is correct, or is Warren correct that the previous presidential administration was at least partly to blame? Quote, it would have happened anyway, answered Mulvaney. The changes in 2018 were relatively narrow in scope. Essentially, it took banks under $250 billion in balance sheet assets out from the very highest level of regulation. <coughs> End quote. Silicon Valley Bank was still subject to bank regulation, just not the very highest. Meanwhile, duration risk marked by taking short-term deposits and investing them in long-term assets, arguably the key factor in SVB's downfall, is one of the simplest, most basic things that the SEC, the FDIC, and the Fed are supposed to look at, said Mulvaney. The very lowest levels of regulation should have caught this. Quote, the regulators dropped the ball, end quote. He stated, emphasizing that this was a management failure at a bank that happened to deal with crypto customers. This was not, 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 this is Mulvaney talking. This was not a crypto-induced problem, and I think that that's important to note. Why is Mulvaney so optimistic about the prospects of federal crypto and blockchain legislation this year, despite everything one hears about political polarization in Washington, D.C., especially in Congress, some issues remain fairly bipartisan, he explained. One is antipathy to China. Another is suspicion of big tech. 
but a third is an interest in crypto and blockchain. Oh boy, take the House Financial Services Committee on which Mulvaney once served. Its digital assets subcommittee is chaired by Republican French Hill, a crypto and blockchain supporter, but the subcommittee also includes crypto supporters on the minority Democrat side, including Richie Torres, who spoke with Cointelegraph earlier this year about the prospects for digital asset reform legislation. Bipartisanship extends to the United States Senate, too, where Republican Cynthia Lummis and Democrat Kristen Gillibrand jointly introduced the Responsible Financial Innovation Act in 2022, which aims to create a regulatory framework for digital assets. Mulvaney explained, quote, You have a group of people in both parties who just want to know more. They're interested in the topic. They want to educate themselves. That's where we are right now with crypto and blockchain, end quote. Astra Protocol, where Mulvaney now serves as a strategic advisor, bills itself as the next generation of compliance. A decentralized KYC platform for Web3, and that's all I'm going to read about that. Skipping that paragraph, that uh, two, three, four, five paragraphs, because I'm not reading a fucking advertisement for Astro Protocol. Let's see if there's anything left in this article worth a shit about, you know, regulations coming this year for crypto. So far, the Biden administration hasn't identified itself as a great friend of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. Were things different in the previous administration? What, if anything, was being said about crypto inside the White House? Quote, it was pretty much what you would see in the general public at the time, answered Mulvaney. We're not really sure what it is. It's just a new piece of technology. So what are the opportunities and so on and so forth and yada, yada, yada. He recalled conversations on the subject with then comptroller of the currency, Joseph Odding, trying to figure it out. For instance, which agency should take the lead in regulating digital assets? The Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the SEC, or a banking agency? Quote, it was unsettled, recalled Mulvaney. It was unknown because it was so new. But that was appropriate for the time. You don't want ironclad positions, especially when adjusting to a new technology, he continued. Quote, I hope that's what the current Biden administration is doing i.e. engaging in open-minded discussion. I get the impression the SEC chair Gary Gensler is sort of dominating the debate. He's clearly a crypto skeptic. I don't think that's particularly healthy. I don't want my regulator taking sides. End quote. Which government department or commission should take point on crypto? Mulvaney leans to the CFTC, which would regulate crypto more like a commodity and not a security. Many in the crypto community would probably favor CFTC primacy as well. He added, quote, I just don't think Gary has the mindset to do that, you know, act objectively. So right now, put me down as supporting anybody other than the SEC because Gensler is still there, end quote. Ooh, doesn't like Gensler. Um, so what does the former acting White House chief of staff think about crypto and blockchain's long-term prospects? It will not fail because it is allegedly being misused by criminals or terrorists, he stated. Lawmakers are slowly learning something that law enforcement agencies have known for a while. Quote, crypto is actually a lot better for law enforcement than cash because while it's anonymous, it's traceable. (laughs) The biggest resistance will likely be from countries that are worried about their own currency being replaced. Yeah, think about the United States. We're, We're there, dude. He doesn't include the U.S. in this group, but European Union countries might be candidates. Quote, the Europeans may worry that eventually the euro may be replaced by a digital currency because the euro is 
sort of held together with needle and thread. Yeah, bullshit, like the US dollar isn't? <laughs> Dude, what about IMF, the International Monetary Fund, which has warned its 190 member countries against making Bitcoin and other private money official currency? Is that a responsible position for the world's lender of last resort? Quote, no. I think they're way out of their lane, answered Mulvaney. The IMF was set up to do one certain thing, which is to lend money to countries to help them to develop. Whatever a country wants to adopt as its official currency is not really the IMF's business. No, it's not at all. He believes in the competition of ideas. And if you get certain a certain country that wants to adopt Bitcoin or any particular cryptocurrency, I think that's fine. It's helpful and could spur more innovation. Mulvaney's interest in Bitcoin goes back almost a decade and came about by accident. He was attending a conference on the gold standard and there was a young lady there talking about something I'd never heard before, which was Bitcoin and explaining how it was fixed in total number and so on. I remember turning to her at the end of the conference and saying, you know, it's not exactly the same as the gold standard, but it's got some interesting parallels. I'd like to know more about it. They spent some time discussing the new technology, its history, how it worked and where and how it was being adopted. I was just fascinated, Mulvaney said. What specifically drew him to Bitcoin? The value is set by technology. Later on, as head of the Office of Management and Budget, he saw firsthand what we've done to the currency. And I'm very much aware of how much of the United States dollars that we've printed over the course of the past 10 years. Quote, that scares me to death. So to have something that the government cannot, at least in theory, change the value of unilaterally by fiat, that appealed to me. And I think it appeals to a lot of people. All right, that's the end of the article. And, you know, say what you want. Just because he served under Trump doesn't necessarily, you know, I, anybody that's got the, the Trump delusion thing going on, you really need to stop it. He's living in your head rent-free, and he's been moving furniture in there for a while. You're just being a vessel for him. If you really don't like him, you need to forget about him. In either event, this dude, Mulvaney gets a lot of shit right. He also gets a lot of shit wrong. That whole thing that the euro, and he's right that probably the euro would collapse before the United States dollar, but his attitude sounds like the United States dollar is completely fine. It is not. Let's find out if I'm right and run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. We got West Texas Intermediate down just a little bit over a point to $70.13. Brent North Sea is down 0.86% to $76.03. Natural gas, however, is winning 1.11 to the upside, $2.19 per thousand cubic feet on that. Gasoline is also going higher, even though oil is going lower, which tells you that we've hit this thing it's called a bottleneck and it's in the refining industry and has nothing to do with the raw materials. Uh, 0.96% to the upside, $2.61 a gallon. So don't ever look at oil futures to tell you what your gasoline is going to cost. That's a mistake. Don't do it. Metal futures, almost all of them are up and up by big, especially gold, 2.28% to the upside. 1994 is the number for you on an ounce of shiny metal rock. Silver, 1.9% to the upside, $23.22. Gold, 
Platinum is up scant. Copper is up one and a half points. Palladium, the only loser today, 1.43% to the downside. Ag is uh, bleeding out except for rough rice, which is the only thing in the green today. 1.16% to the upside. Biggest loser is coffee, just over two full points to the downside. Now we get to indices. They should all be going down. Nope. Dow up 0.6%, S&P up 0.86%, NASDAQ up over, wow, it just flipped 1.75% to the upside in S&P mini up a quarter of a point. Uh, and, in, and I'm on cnbc.com forward slash futures and commodities. And the trending now number one story is block stock plunges 19%. After short, seller Hindenburg says Jack Dorsey's company facilitates fraud. I use CNBC because they compile numbers, but they are part of a narrative. They are doing, they're being the, the dutiful, good little boy. And they're making sure that this is the number one story on the right-hand side where people go to get futures and commodities prices, which is a lot. How much you want to bet this shit's all over the Bloomberg terminal too? They're scared of block. They are very scared of block. Again, get the ideas out of your head. Put them on paper. Put them somewhere. Play with them. Make them something. Make them real. Write. Do anything. Build anything that replaces everything in the legacy system. Or this bullshit continues forever. Now, the price of corn. $28,434. Uh, we've had, woo, let's see, uh, 530,000 BTC have exchanged hands in the last 24 hours. 1.72 BTC is the average transaction value, while the median transaction value has jumped quite a bit. 0.016 BTC, or just under 450 bucks. Hadn't seen it that high in a while. Block times are extraordinarily low. 8 minutes and 8 seconds. 0.22 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and just under 40 full Bitcoin taken in fees in the last 24 hours. What does that tell you? Yeah. Fee market, <laughs> we've got one. 10% uh, rise in hash rate sends us uh, to 358 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator indicates that shitcoins are not doing... Terrible. 7.8 United States pennies. I'll let you figure that one out for yourself. $547 billion of market capitalization is 4.14% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 14.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,325,836.96 of, and 5,431.6 of those little psalm bitches are jamming in the Lightning Network, valued at $153.7 million, whatever the hell that means, running over 16,353 nodes that we can identify publicly and sporting 75,306 public payment channels. 67.1% of all that shit's being run over Tor's associated 11,624 nodes that we know about. There are 30,000 uh, transactions waiting on 69 blocks to clear, there is a 4.88 Satoshi per V-byte minimum fee rate. We have a difficulty change estimated to be 7%. 
today sometime. In fact, that should be interesting. Have you noticed that right, right before the estimated difficulty change, hash rate screams back into play? Have you noticed that? We need to start really looking at these cycles. You know, I'm not saying that there's anything nefarious going on. People are, I mean, the, the question that I have is, what what does that do? You don't, you know, it's like what the movie Hunt for Red October. Russians don't take a shit without having a plan. And he's right. It ain't just the Russians. I'm talking about people in general. You're not going to go do something unless you're, you know, without having a reason to do it, unless you're sleepwalking or really hammered, right? Otherwise, you've got purpose. So why does hash rate come screaming back online right before an estimated difficulty change? If you if you know or you got a theory, tell me and do it through Boostergram. That always helps. Now, let's just check his Clark Moody's math and go to mempool.space. I should already, I should just have this up because these things are weird. Yeah, see, <laughs> oh my God. This thing is saying that there's 53,000 transactions waiting on 214 blocks to clear. No priority transactions have a 10 Satoshi per V-byte. No priority literally means that you'll wait forever. And if, if for whatever reason that flips up to 11, your transaction's going to get purged from the mempool or from all mempools, or at least mempools that are running uh, the basically the stock, whatever. When you run a node, the mempool on your node is set to 300, was it 300 kilobytes? Or three, I'm sorry, 300 megabytes. And yeah, and right now, memory usage is 919 megabytes out of 300 megabytes, which means that they're purging everything underneath five Satoshis per byte. Now, low priorities are 18 Satoshis per V-byte. Medium priorities are 20 Satoshis per V-byte. High priorities are 23 Satoshis per V-byte. That's about a buck. They're saying that, it, well, I mean, not not 22 Satoshis, is it? But uh, average native SegWit transaction of 140 V-bytes going to cost you around, right now, 88 cents. It's kind of flipping over. So that's your weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And if you want to use this news, the news that you can use, please do me a favor and tell your friends and family about this show. I want more listeners. I need more donors because I don't want to do advertising. If I'm telling you about Obsidian, it's because I think it's a good product. If I'm telling you about Cold Card, it's because I think it's a good product, not because Novak is paying me any money. Not that I wouldn't take it. I'm just saying... I get to actually tell you what I really think because I'm, I, I don't have advertisers. But at one point or another, I may have to go get them. And that time may be coming soon. I'm just trying to make sure that I've got enough of a listener base for them to actually say, well, for them to not laugh at me. That's what I'm trying to do. But conversely, if I get enough listeners and I get enough Satoshi streaming to me, it might be self-funded. And if I can self-fund, then I can never have to lie to you, which I never would do in the first place. But somebody, you know, think about it this way. The human spirit, you may not even know that you've been turned to lying because advertiser comes up and says, hey, look, I'll send you a product for free. I try it out. I test it. 
I can say that I've used it and they're giving me like, I don't know, what, I don't know, $5,000 a month. I, I have no idea what, or $5,000 a quarter. I have no idea if that's even possible. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that now I'm kind of on the hook. You see what I'm saying? So uh, donate to the show. Give me Boostergrams. Stream me Satoshis. Zap me on Noster. I mean, you can always go to the show notes because my NPUB for Noster is always there. You can always find me. You either can find me through the NPUB on Noster, or if you're looking for me and the only search that you can do is hex, I have the hex conversion of my NPUB right there in the show notes. It's at the very end. Scroll down. Look at the stuff. There's stuff in there, man. There's stuff. And there's stuff in here too. White House release. Uh, economic report on Bitcoin, and here's what they got wrong. BTC Casey, Bitcoin Magazine. The White House released the extensive economic report of the president, which included a section titled Digital Assets, Relearning Economic Principles. This section detailed Bitcoin, its functionality, and various possible benefits the proponents claim for this popular uh, popularity of crypto assets, end quote. The proponents claim the report intends to address vary from crypto assets serving as investment vehicles and enabling fast digital payments to improving the United States current financial technology infrastructure. The report then addresses the reality of crypto assets as the section is so titled, setting the record straight in the eyes of the administration. Quote, compared with many other asset types, crypto assets are very volatile and hence highly risky, the report begins with. Because, because they are very volatile, crypto assets can be used for speculation, an investment strategy that seeks to make a profit from short-run trading. One reason many crypto assets are highly volatile is that many of them do not have any fundamental value. End quote. It did goes on to provide the example of stocks and debt, comparing them to unbacked crypto assets that are traded without fundamental anchors, suggesting that their market prices only reflect speculative demand or market sentiment not claims on cash flow, end quote. In between this and the next statement is an in interjection, box 8-2, which details, quote, how does Bitcoin work? This box, sorry, excuse me, this box coincidentally may serve as the answer to the question of what is Bitcoin's fundamental value in its description of the inner workings of Bitcoin. Straw manning Bitcoin proponents the, uh, <clears throat> sorry, straw manning Bitcoin's proponents, the report then goes on to state that one of the purported benefits of crypto assets like Bitcoin was to hedge against inflation, meaning that their value does not erode as inflation increases. But as inflation increased globally in the second half of 2021 and in 2022, the prices of crypto assets collapsed, proving them to be at best an ineffective inflation hedge, end quote. While the inflation narrative surrounding the 2020 and 2021 bull market did prove a distraction, the price of Bitcoin still soared during the pandemic, reaching all-time highs of $69,000. Besides that, Bitcoin has still been serving as a store of value for those living in countries with highly inflationary currencies and is incredibly likely to do so for all countries with inflation on a long enough timescale given Bitcoin's fundamental scarcity. The next section... Quote, cryptocurrencies generally do not perform all the functions of money as effectively as sovereign money, such as the United States dollars, end quote, demonstrates the administration's belief that Bitcoin will never be able to fulfill the three functions of money, 
act as a store of value, a medium of exchange, and a unit of account as effectively as the U.S. dollar quote. Cryptocurrencies currently serve each of these functions, but they only do so in limited ways in the United States, so they do not serve from an economic perspective as an effective alternative to the United States dollar, the report states. But this is a short-sighted conclusion, as Bitcoin is still in its relative infancy, and even now, it has proven in other markets that it can very effectively fulfill these functions, the United States and its citizens simply enjoy the privileges of a functioning economy that makes the necessity of Bitcoin seem distant. The White House describes how, because of the smaller number of entities accepting Bitcoin as payment, it does not serve as a proper medium of exchange and therefore unit of account. But this is, once again, short-sighted in that every day further markets, products, and businesses are built around the Bitcoin ecosystem indeed. El Salvador made headlines as it made Bitcoin legal tender and now is seeing success in their choice to adopt it. Quote, the strength of the United States dollar is derived from several important factors, such as aircraft carriers. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I put that in there. Such as faith in government institutions and the legal system. But cryptocurrencies lack these factors, the report states. But this faith has been tangibly shaken as the world watches the banking system repeatedly fall back on the need for federal action. It shouldn't be mistaken that this encourages faith in the system, but rather highlights the necessity to continually save a system fully designed to rely on a debt cycle bubble. There are also fundamental misunderstandings within the report, highlighting the differences in energy requirements between proof of work and proof of stake. The report describes how, despite Ethereum's switch to proof of stake, Bitcoin has not announced plans to make a similar change. I can't believe the CEO of Bitcoin hasn't made an announcement. See how stupid these people are? It's, it's in our purview. It is our fucking moral duty to wipe the floor with these people. They must be made to go away, hopefully through irrelevance. In either event, there are fundamental misunderstandings within the report. Did we say that? Yes, we did. But as Foundry's Director of Public Policy, Kyle Schnepp, said in a statement, the Atlantic hit piece on Bitcoin's energy usage, quote, it is impossible for Bitcoin to switch to proof of stake because the Bitcoin network is completely decentralized. There is no governing body that can make such a decision, end quote. Well, at least he gets it. Not only is the Bitcoin network fundamentally averse to moving away from proof of work, there is no Bitcoin to announce plans in any sense that the White House report suggests. Quote, in places like Texas, which expects to add 27 gigawatts of additional crypto mining demand in the next four years, equal to roughly 30% of the generation capacity of the entire Texas grid, Crypto mining could increase the likelihood of power crises where demand overwhelms the grid's ability to provide sufficient generation, the report said. But this conclusion ignores the potential of returning energy to the grid during peak load times in return for subsidies from the energy company, making energy demand surges less impactful on the grid, not more. The report also focuses on the potential for a United States CBDC and how it might improve the financial system. Quote, a U.S. CBDC, digital form of the U.S. dollar, would have the potential to offer significant benefits. It could enable a payment system that is more efficient, provide a foundation for further technological innovation, facilitate faster cross-border transactions, and be environmentally sustainable. Oh, yay! For example, 
a potential U.S. CBDC could help ensure that such payment systems are aligned with the principles of human rights, democratic values, and privacy. Bullshit. The report says all values which are highlighted as potentially being compromised by a CBDC by the Bitcoin Policy Institute. The report ends with the conclusion that cryptocurrencies cannot challenge basic economic principles, such as what makes an asset effective as money and the incentives that give rise to run risk. Although the underlying technologies are a clever solution for the problem of how to execute transactions without a trusted authority, crypto assets currently do not offer widespread economic benefit. They are largely speculative investment vehicles and are not an effective alternative to fiat currency. These conclusions, too, have been proven incorrect in other markets, as the widespread economic benefits of Bitcoin usage have made themselves visible in the various local economies that are flourishing around the world. Yes, the report was complete bullshit, written by people who don't understand the very thing that they were writing the report on, or at least that section of it. Again, get the ideas out of your head. Put them in a place that you can see them and work on them and then do something with them that will supplant these assholes forever. Please, for the love of God. Now, what do we got here? This is way too long. We are already 68 minutes in. I'm going to move that to the back and save it for later because we're going to talk about Pez. That's right, Pez. We got to have a little bright spot today and Pez is going to be our first one. First ever Bitcoin uh, themed Pez dispenser officially officially launches, yay, Sean Omic for Bitcoin Magazine. The world's first Bitcoin-themed Pez dispenser has launched for a limited edition run per a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. Prosnactive sales, get it? Prosnactive, like proactive, but about snacks. A newly formed family-owned business launched the product exclusively on Walmart mar- Marketplace. The company is producing a hard limit of 30,000 units, mirroring the hard money scarcity of Bitcoin. I wish they had done 21,000. Quote, we believe the future is bright for Bitcoin, and that is one of the main reasons we pursued this project, said Chris Corradini, owner of Prosnactive Sales, LLC. Quote, it's a fun way to promote Bitcoin and leave a long-lasting impression with all crypto, collectible, and candy enthusiasts alike. And yes, Bitcoin was used to help fund the project. Nice. (laughs) While the markets are suffering a downturn, yeah, if that's what you want to call it, and news of acquisitions, liquidation events, and volatile prices crowd investor screens, Prosnactive intends for this product to be a well-deserved break from the market madness. The company noted that while these Pez dispensers might not need to be huddled quite as tightly as one's Bitcoin, they still might be worth holding onto as a collectible. One local Connecticut resident and Pez collector is already excited for the product launch. Quote, it's awesome to hear that Bitcoin was adopted, adopted as a custom Pez design, local Connecticut resident Phil Grimaldi has said. Quote, I'm definitely going to be buying more Bitcoin before the dispenser goes on sale. I hope he, hope I am lucky enough to get one, Pez and Bitcoin to the moon. Now, I don't know if you know this about Pez. You got to jump through some hoops. If you're going to build a Pez dispenser that the Pez company itself puts their stamp of approval on, you're paying a lot of money for the licensing rights. Then they are going to pick over your design relentlessly 
I know this because I literally was watching a documentary about the Pez guy that was making one-off or rather knockoff Pez dispensers and selling them at like candy conventions. And the Pez company crushed him. They hired people to make his life miserable. Pez is not fucking around. So when Pez puts their stamp of approval on this, at least I assume that they have, because if they haven't, and they don't know about this, they're going to be pissed, right? It's not like messing around with like some dude selling candy on the corner. This is like messing around with Coca-Cola. So is this good for Bitcoin? Of course it's good for Bitcoin. And so is this. Shamari announces Satoshi Plush that will support the Built with Bitcoin Foundation. Uh, Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey, Shamari, a Bitcoin company that produces educational materials, an educational Bitcoin company that produces STEM authenticated books and games, has announced a new special edition African-themed plush toy named Satoshi. 21% of the proceeds of the gross sales, not net, the gross sales of Satoshi will be donated to the Built with Bitcoin Foundation, a nonprofit organization that provides clean water, access to education, sustainable farming, and humanitarian support, all powered by Bitcoin. According to the press release sent by Bitcoin Magazine, the goal of the donation is to raise enough funds to build a new watering well in Africa. Quote, Shamari is dedicated to the continued growth of Bitcoin awareness, education, and adoption. We believe that learning can be fun and it can start at any age. Scott Sibley, co-founder and CEO of Shamari and former guest on this show, by the way, I might add, I was one of the first ones to pick him up. Uh, it's a great honor to know that the Satoshi plush toy will play a role in introducing Bitcoin into children's lives and that each purchase will help give other children access to clean water, end quote. The Satoshi plush toy is holding a toy Bitcoin with the outline of Africa and the Bitcoin B stitched onto the design. Each toy will include a QR code that will take people to a unique landing page on the Shamari website that will include an overview of the project, a donation tracker, and a message from the team. In addition, all Satoshi plushes will come with a birth certificate authenticating the Bitcoin block this project was born on and the mission behind it. Those, oh, I got a call coming in. Oh yeah, Joy from Lubbock. Yeah, I probably don't want to answer that one. Sorry, I get, I, I get distracted. I'm like a bird with something shiny. Whatever, sorry. Uh, in addition, all Satoshi plushes will come with the birth certificate authenticating the Bitcoin block this project was born on and the mission behind it. Those who help support the Watering Well project in the beginning will be awarded with authenticated birth certificates for the first 300 purchased, indicating that they came from the first batch of Satoshis. Co-founder of the Built with Bitcoin Foundation, Ray Youssef, said that, quote, Bitcoin education is the key to mass adoption. Financial literacy should be a human right. And Shamari does an amazing, amazing job of educating children about Bitcoin's basic concepts. I'm honored to be working with Shamari to both welcome the next wave of Bitcoiners and raise funds for the Well Project in Africa. Prosperity for all, powered by Bitcoin. End quote. Man, see, Bitcoiners have a much better ability to do suit speak. That's not suit speak. That's actually, that's like, that's like Ray. 
You know, you hear all these mission statements and all these bullshit press releases, and they all sound the same. Have you ever noticed that when you can just tell a high quality Bitcoiner when they have a Bitcoin company, especially when they release their articles or their mission statements, they actually say something. They actually have fucking meaning. Thank you, Ray, for actually having some meaning here. Now, this sentiment was echoed by Yusuf Necessary, Yusuf Necessary, co-founder and director of the Built with Bitcoin Foundation, who said, quote, I'm proud to be a part of the community that strives for inclusion. Bitcoin is about the people and it's our job to educate the next generation. They will be the ones to build upon Satoshi's dream, end quote. Ashamari has previously supported the Built with Bitcoin Foundation by donating books and games to schools funded by the nonprofit, as well as donating a portion of its sales during the Bitcoin 2022 conference to help build a water well in Africa. Yeah, Scott Sibley and, the, and, and his wife, high quality people. I have, I'm look, literally looking at not one, but two decks of the Shamari card game. If you have not, have not got this game, Hear it, hear it. I'm shaking the box and it's, it's unwrapped too. I've got, I've actually got one of them still in a wrapper and then one that we actually use. Uh, Shamari, S-H-A-M-O-R-Y. I guarantee you, if you just simply Google that, you will find Scott Sibley's website and you will be able to purchase what has been a game that my children have thought were has been really fun, that they were like begging me to play. And this was back when it very, when it first came out. And I can't, I don't, I can't even remember how the hell I got my first deck, my first deck of cards. It very well may be that Scott just sent me one in the mail, and then the second one I got at Bitblock Boom as a swag. But uh, good on Scott and all anybody that's connected with the Shamari uh, thing. Thank you for doing what you do uh, because you actually make a difference. It's not the rest of these idiots like fashion model Giselle Bunchin explains why she invested in FTX. It's laughable. That's why I'm bringing it to you. Crypto Potato, and it's being written by Dimitar Dahondrazov. And I'm sorry, dude, I just can't pronounce it. I can't do Russian or whatever it is. The Brazilian supermodel Giselle Bunchen said her financial advisors, her financial, and she's blaming her financial advisors for pushing her into investing in the now bankrupt exchange FTX, describing it as a sound and great opportunity. She and her ex-husband, <clears throat> Tom Brady, are among the numerous people who parted with substantial funds due to their involvement with the former crypto giant. She is praying for justice, I guess. The massive demise of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX in November of last year left multiple investors empty-handed, some of those including well-known athletes, TV personalities, and all kinds of celebrities. Oh, oh so sorry. One of the highest paid models in the world, Giselle Bunchen is also part of that list. In a recent interview, she blamed her financial advisors for letting her become a victim of the crash. The Brazilian further said that she trusted the hype around the platform's former CEO, Sam Bankman-Fried, while at first she was blindsided by the failures. Shortly after, Bunchen realized the real damage in the scope of the FTX collapse, hoping those responsible for it to face justice, whatever. Quote, it's just terrible. I'm so sorry for all of us that this happened, and I just pray that justice gets made. End quote. As Crypto Potato recently reported, the model owns 
over 680,000 common shares of FTX. Her ex-spouse, Tom Brady, has an even larger exposure, holding more than 1.1 million of that crappy-ass stock. Other prominent names who got burned by the catastrophe include the Canadian entrepreneur, Kevin O'Leary. Good. I hope he dies. Oh, I mean, I hope his, his money dies. Sorry, I didn't mean to say that out loud. And the American billionaire, Robert Kraft. Don't know him. Renowned companies like Amazon, Google, Netflix, Apple, Meta, Microsoft, and many more are also part of the nearly 10 million creditors. God. I don't know why that surprises me. While last year was full of scandals and company collapses, one fallout stands above, that of FTX. It all began at the beginning of November. Yes, we all know that. So is there anything else about Giselle? SCBF apologized, the American magistrates. No, there's nothing more about Giselle. But here's, here's something that you do need to know about Giselle and Tom Brady. They knew full well what was going on. This wasn't her advisors pushing her into this. She was on a commercial for it. She was in a commercial alongside her husband. That's not your financial advisor pushing you into something that they're telling you is a great investment opportunity. You're filming a commercial and getting paid in their stock. Is and by the way, that divorce of theirs is so that they don't have any exposure to each other. I'll bet you they're still banging each other. I'll bet you they're still together all the time. I'll bet you there's no animosity whatsoever between those two. I may be wrong. I don't follow what's going on in the celebrityville, but you know that their divorce kind of happened. Yeah, go find out. Go go Google and say Tom Brady. And Giselle Bunchen divorce. And then look at the dates. Go back and find the earliest article that you can that announced the actual divorce. Look at that date, compare it to the bankruptcy filing of FTX and Alameda. And when that whole thing happened, and you'll you'll see what I'm talking about. It's all bullshit. Giselle's is filled with bullshit. Tom Brady is probably all full of bullshit. Don't believe these people. Seek to replace them. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Okay, we're going to need a joke. Dad says jokes. Please do us proud. Dad, my wife just yelled that I should fall in a pit or hole sunk into the earth full of water and die. I know she really means well. I should probably apologize for that whole hope Kevin O'Leary dies thing. That's not right. That's just not right. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm being honest. I'm not, this isn't going to end up with a, but you know, as the prologue to another joke, really not good. That's, that's not classy. It's, it's bad form. It's unprofessional. And I apologize to you, my listener, and I also, God forbid, have to apologize to Kevin O'Leary. I actually hope you remain safe. What I do hope is that you get your goddamn shit together there, Kevin, and stop leading people into really bad investment decisions like Terra Luna. All right? You do need to pay, but just not the ultimate price. 
I mean, you lied to people. You knew this was crap. And if you didn't, if you didn't, if you literally did not know that Terra Luna was an awful, awful thing and was just doomed to failure, then it means that you're not doing your research as an investment advisor should at any capacity, at any capacity. I'm just saying, man, uh, what did we learn today? We learned that (laughs) this whole thing needs to be replaced. It's not just the banking system. It's not just the money. It's whole attitudes that citizenries of multiple, most of the countries in the world need to just completely ditch. I, I used to think, I was like, well, us Americans have been lied to. The world's population has been lied to by seemingly different governments, yet it's all the same lie. Consume more, produce less. Worry about your retirement so that you can't ever sleep. Instead of just, you know, thinking of, thinking of it this way. Uh, 10,000 years ago, there was no retirement plan. Ex- I mean, except that your, your family was very close to you. And they would take care of you until you died. And take care of doesn't mean like a burden. We, you know, it's like, oh, I don't want to be a burden. You were taught to think that way to be a burden on your children. Fuck it, I'll burden my goddamn children all damn day. They burden me. That's the way families are supposed to be. We're not burdens. We're family. You just stick together. Take care of each other when they're young. Take care of each other when they're old. Take care of each other when you're middle-aged. You know, support their dreams. Support their emotions. Do, you know, do the things that you do because you love your family members. Your family's your retirement, dude. That has always been that way. Your family's your retirement. Everything else is a lie, dude. You've been lied to. I've been lied to. Don't feel bad. We've all been lied to. Okay, let's get over it. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.